start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Jay Allen Show. I hope everything is good and grand inside of your neck of the woods as we are already on the second month of this lovely, lovely, lovely year so far. So I have to tell you, it's been a while since we've sat down and done a proper interview, and I thought that today would be a good start of doing this. And I have to say, you know, when you start thinking about this, as we're starting to get into the month of February, with it being the first today, a lot of people are already struggling or have failed at their New Year's resolutions. And what I wanted to do today was bring someone in that would be able to have that conversation with us and discussing on how our resolutions don't work out, what is the reason they don't work out. Now, a lot of the conversation that we'll have today will be on the side of the house that consists of wellness and how those things work. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation here today with Alessa Morgan from Wellness Reset talking about why resolutions fails and some of the psychology behind it. Enjoy it now on The Jay Allen Show. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. Well, hello and welcome on to this little thing. Um, I have to tell you, I've been kind of impressed, amazed, whatever you want to call it. Number one, thank you uh, for those people that are out there and that don't know. You are actually a a correspondent as of late on the Rated R Safety Show and consistently help out on things that are going on over there. And I have to tell you, I've been kind of just amazed overall with some of the stuff that you bring to the program on a Monday through Friday basis or whenever I show up. Maybe that's the really the statement to make. But I wanted to bring you on today because, of course, now we are exactly one month. Well, to you and I, it's like 31 days. But by the time that this airs tomorrow, it'll be a month. Um, since I guess New Year's and res- resolutions and all that kind of stuff. So um, before we get into that, how have you been? How's the New Year treating you? Oh, been fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words. I love being on Rated R Safety Show and bring a minute of wellness uh, on a daily basis. And it's 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 a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun to share the, some science uh, that includes both nutrition, psychology, fitness and everything else and my year has been great so far thank you so much what about how about you well i can't complain i mean this is one of those things that we've well 
That's a lie. I can complain. I think I've lost my voice twice so far since the year started or the end of the year. I lost my voice and I lost my voice at the beginning of the year. But let me not complain about that. Let's get into some of the important stuff that's going on out there. So I will tell you with this with this wellness minute that you do daily, I've been just mesmerized in, in regards to the amount of information that you're able to come up with in such a very short period of time. Because we're all, we're asking you to um, unload information day in and day out. And I don't even think that I can keep anything topical in that kind of period of time, but you managed to do it very nice. So I wanted to bring you on today because my question comes about. And it's, I think it's, a, it's an interesting one because I want to have an understanding of it. You, This is something that you dive into daily, yearly, however you want to take a look at it. So we're a month into the new year, as I've already stated. New Year's resolutions. By now, how does it look for most people based on the things that you get to do? Are most people still interacting with their New Year's resolutions? Have a lot of these things already bottomed out? Or what do you say? By now, 80 to 90 percent of people who were making the New Year resolutions are done with them. Um, I was reading an article somewhere that called January 19th the Quitter's Day because January that's actually 19th, so 19 days yes. into the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it's quit. So but you're saying quitting. So I just want to make sure that it's not that they had like a 31 day challenge within what they had built up. It's that they've gotten to the point now that it's non-existent anymore for them. Yes, pretty much giving up. And, Specifically okay. for the, yeah. So they're giving up due to fail rate? Or are they giving up because they don't have the effort? What are you seeing? Because a lot of the New Year's resolutions, I mean, some people do financial, some people do spiritual, some people do social, but a lot of people go to, hey, I'm going to do this in the gym. I'm going to get, I'm going to eat better. I mean, I would love, I, every year I, I tell myself internally, I don't verbalize it a lot, that I'm going to eat better. But there's this thing called dessert that just kind of destroys everything for me. Um, especially when I go someplace to order food and I, look at the dessert menu before I order anything. That's not a good sign. But as you look at this and you see it, why is it the 19th, the, the day based on what you're, what you're reading? Well, I think it starts from the, how the resolutions are being made in the first place. So if a person has been acting and behaving a certain way for a very extended amount of time, usually many, many years. And then sometime around December, end of December, beginning of January, they decided, boom, starting January 1st, I will be a completely different person. And it's when the resolutions are set this way, like a very abrupt change, it almost never works. Uh, the very small percentage of pe people for whom it works, they are superhumans and uh, I will be impressed by them forever. But the most common problem with resolutions is that they do not take into account the psychology of how the change happens. There is this false notion that action should start happening when you think about changing something. So you're gonna, you're, I'm going to need more because I don't I'm not understanding. And this is probably just a me thing, not anything that you're saying. But what do you mean actions need to start happening? Isn't the goal of, hey, the resolutions in place, this is the action I'm putting because this is what I'm trying to change. So essentially, in uh, to rephrase this in slightly different words, the moment when you decide to change is the moment to take the action. That's 
a very common basis behind making the resolutions. And the problem is that this is not how change happens. Um, there was a model of change developed, and this model specifically was actually de- developed by tobacco companies. Oh, oh, um, okay. for, to, to, to quit smoking. smoking. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. yes. It, it's, it's a model for change to quit smoking. And just to Developed make a quick... tobacco company, something tells me the failure rate <laughs> on this is not going to be very high, but let's hear. Well, that too. And before I go into the model, let's remember that it's just a model. It is something that can be useful, but doesn't always necessarily have to be 100% accurate. But uh, this model is called stages of change. And it goes through a cycle where there is pre-contemplation, contemplation, and then preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. And it kind of goes into a cycle that then starts again. So when people make resolutions normally, they think of a very linear development going forward. So this behavior wasn't happening. Starting January 1st, it's going to start happening. And this model of what actually needs to happen before the action gets taken does not get taken into account. And that's usually a big problem because we dive into new resolutions in a way completely forgetting who we are meaning that there, there is a reason why we have not been able to achieve those goals until now. So for some reason, January 1st, we will be a completely new person to where we will be able to make those changes. However, a lot of stages get skipped. So let, Another, me, let, me, let me ask about that. And I'm, I apologize for interrupting you because I want to have a, a good understanding for us to be able to, to explain this to the people that are listening. So if my idea is to eat better starting January 1st, just using this as an example, you're telling me I should not set this goal starting December the 15th, knowing that I'm going to go through an eat-a-thon before I get to January 1st. Is that about accurate of what you're saying? Yes, it's partially that. But even if you decide to set this goal, I don't want to say... I don't want to say that nothing is impossible. Is it possible for you to set the goal? Yes, of course. Nothing's impossible? Hold on. I got a lot of thoughts here with this one. Of of course it's possible. But the question is, what happens before January 1st? Do you actually, you know, partake in all of the holiday eating and don't really contemplate or reflect on why you haven't been able to achieve this goal? Do you reflect on your other goals and how the goal on January 1st about your diet will affect or not affect other goals that are important to you? Of course. All I'm thinking about is what I'm going to be eating during the holidays. I mean, that would be, I would imagine, what most people go through. If I'm going, I mean, I've always thought it's interesting when people go, Starting after Super Bowl Sunday, using that as an example, I'm going to go on a diet because I know I'm going to binge eat or I know I'm going to binge eat during the holidays and I'm going to start on this date. So most people are thinking about the food that they're going to partake of and how much weight they might potentially gain prior to going to X resolution. And this is going to be my diet. So you're saying they're doing it the wrong way in regards to that. So what do you think the timeline should be based on the research that you've been able to do? How long should they be planning this out ahead of time? I'll give you two answers, but they will both be relevant. So there is one way to go about it. Let's say I'm going to tell myself I will overeat on December 31st and January 1st, because let's be honest, that usually happens as well. But on January 2nd, I will not eat at all. I will be fasting. Okay, 
that's one way to make a goal. But then that goal is... I'm so full from eating over the January 1st. Yes, I get it. That's a good reason to fast. (laughs) Right. So making a fasting goal for one day to compensate for the holiday eating, that's a good way to make a goal because it's very short term. It doesn't make... It doesn't take a lot of input. It doesn't ask you to change who you are or your personality. However, if you decide that you're going to eat everything that is on the table... December 24th through January 1st, and then you will become a completely different person overnight, then it's probably not going to happen unless you are one of those rare unicorns who somehow manages to uh, beat the statistics and make it happen. So in other words, you're telling me that people should not be concerned on what they're going to eat from Thanksgiving to January 1st. They should be actually concerned on what they're eating January 1st through Thanksgiving. Is that about accurate? That's one way to look at it, but I don't want to be using the word shoulds, okay. that people should be doing something or people shouldn't be doing something. Um, there was one quote where somebody said that should is the word could plus shame. So I tried to avoid the word should should in general just because it's it doesn't always create positive emotions. So when you're making a change in your life, it's very important to be aware from which place you are making this change. Meaning if you are so dissatisfied with yourself or it's just something that is neutral to you, it's like, it would be nice to change my weight, to eat differently, but it's not uh, that important. Or is it um, just something that is very, very important to you and it affects how you see yourself and how you perceive your identity? So, so so what tips would you give to people out there on what they need to do? Because you get to interact with this on pretty much on a daily basis. So how does that come about? What tips, what, I guess, triggers? Are there little secrets? I mean, silver bullet would be fantastic. But are there little things that you tell people that this is what they need to be con- concerned about? Or Because, I mean, keep in mind, most people start off with, hey, I have a New Year's resolution. If it is losing weight, if I want to lose 20 pounds doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be healthy by losing those 20 pounds. They want to lose a number. So what tips, tricks, and so on do you tell people? Sure. So if I could narrow it down, I would list three main, very important tips. So the tip number one is looking at the change as a process that resembles spiral more than a straight line. And the cycle that I mentioned previously that starts with pre-contemplation and ends with relapse. And we associate the word relapse with failure or something that failed, something that is didn't go well at all. And an important reframing for how change occurs is to take the concept of relapse and understand that this is an opportunity to pull back Reflect on the changes that you have been attempted to make and reconsider. Reframe what works better for you, what didn't work for you, what worked well for you, and make a plan going forward, taking everything that you have learned into account and understanding that a relapse is a place for a new goal or a transition, but not necessarily a failure or something that will make you less of who you are. Okay, so throw out the window then essentially the definition of relapse is what you're saying because essentially it's a deterioration in someone's state of health after temporary improvement. So you're just saying throw that out the window. 
In a way, yes. Um, if I was presenting this model to an individual client, I would probably use a different word because we truly, this model is not supposed to be about failure. It's supposed to be about understanding that there will be a place where you may be disappointed with your efforts. And that's totally normal because we are all human. And the way to deal with that place is to go forward on a positive note and from the um from the perspective of learning about yourself and understanding yourself better. Give me a positive note on that. I positively failed. I mean, I don't understand on how that would be a positive. And I'm trying to understand it. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, give you a hard time. I'm just trying to have a better understanding on what you mean here. Well, we always go through mistakes of different calibers. And some people can even say failures of different calibers. And I believe it's one of your of the principles in HOP that error is normal. However, when it comes to change uh, with diet and wellness, for some reason, error is no longer normal. You failed. You ate cake today. You're a terrible human being. That's well, something no, wrong. You, you definitely had something tasty. I don't know if that's a terrible thing, but hey, that's something to look at. Well, exactly. That goes with reframing um, something that is supposed to be negative into something that is positive. You have learned about yourself more through the process of attempting to change. Maybe you even maybe you were able to lose five pounds but you were not able to lose eight okay another reason to sit back reevaluate see what worked for you what didn't work and then move forward so, so in a way i guess question here would be then essentially what you're saying is that as long as it makes you feel good as you're doing it and if you quote unquote relapse but you were doing it in what you consider the right way you should not look at it as a failure would that be about accurate Yes. And um, I would add to this that failure or relapse is not the end of the cycle of change. It's one of the stages of it. And then you move on to another stage. You don't get stuck in relapse. Does that make better sense? That makes sense. Now, talk to me then about sustainability. So let's say, for instance, I want to lose eight pounds. We go down to five, as you were just discussing. So I didn't relapse. I didn't hit my goal. But how is it sustainable to make it there? Because let's say, for instance, I, I've seen some of these drastic things that people do where they'll go into, hey, I've been eating 2,000, 3,000 calories a day. I'm not saying 3,000 calories is good for you, but that's just something that occurs. All of a sudden, I'm going to go down by eight pounds, blah, 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 blah. I'm doing 500 calories a day. I've lost five pounds. 500 calories a day is not sustainable. I mean, I would love to say that, yeah, it's great not sustainable. What do you do? No, it's not. Um, and setting a goal that is so drastic is definitely not going to work long term. And especially when it comes to losing the last few pounds, that's where that's where most people experience difficult time. Uh, there's like this syndrome of losing the last 10 pounds that seems very difficult for a lot of people. That's usually where, again, you kind of have to sit back and reconsider your strategy and start doing something different. Um, absolutely not in terms of reducing your calories, but maybe changing um, when you eat, your time frame of eating, how you fast, how you move, um, uh, tweaking other things. Because calories is such a tiny portion such a tiny uh, part of how weight loss happens. I mean, nutrition is very, very important. Don't get me wrong, but so are the hormones. So and you're telling me you don't stay in the camp where people say you can eat anything while you're dieting. 
I mean, I've heard I have heard certain dietitians say that you should not limit yourself on what you eat. Um, if you want to go out and have a cheeseburger, have a cheeseburger, but do it in, I guess, in portion control format to an extent. Um, they also make reference uh, to that if you're going to want chocolate cake to do chocolate cake and not to block yourself from certain things. So I just want to make sure, is that kind of where you're going about with this? Because here's the thing. I have a hard time when people say, you know, eat what you want, because that's difficult. Um, I'm not saying, hey, you know, cut back everything under the planet. But also at the same time, there's these people that have stressful moments that go, okay, I need to have chocolate cake. And apparently we're just going to harp on chocolate cake today. Um, <laughs> I need to have chocolate cake. And that's what is going to be my default because that's going to solve my problems. It's emotional eating. Yes, I know this. Mm-hmm. But that's what some people default to. What do you think about this? And is this the right approach to going about it? I do not believe that restriction is the right approach of going about it. Um, first of all, when people get restricted, there's a psychological tendency to want more of what you cannot have. And that applies to food. So one of the coping uh, mechanisms for that is going to be binging or shame or guilt if you overate something. And those are the stressors that will actually slow down weight loss. And we actually want to uh, prevent them from happening. So let me so ask, I will- let's let me ask some of this, and I, and I apologize because I get very, very ecstatic about some of this. And by the way, we are speaking with Alessa Morgan from Wellness Reset, just in case you can find out more about her at alessamorgan.com. Um, but as we are talking, I want to have a better understanding of this because let's let's talk about it. There are people that wake up in the middle of the night and they have that that craving moment that walked to the refrigerator and you're saying non-restrictive, but also a few moments ago, you were making reference to certain timelines, certain times of fasting, how the hormones play into a factor. So let's talk about the people that wake up in the middle of the night. And it's not that I have to have something to eat. It's that I'm just so accustomed that in the middle of the night, I walk to the refrigerator, I grab that bag of chips, I drink that soda. I don't know, maybe drink, eat some ice cream. Let's throw in some chocolate cake because, you know, we're talking about chocolate cake. Um, and all this kind of stuff. But what do you say about this stuff? Because the great thing about it is when you get somebody on the line, such as yourself, that you get to interact with so many different people that go through something along this, you've seen some data points that some of us may have not seen before, where you can say, okay, this is what I've seen, and this is what works and what doesn't work. Yes, so that's a great question. And the answer is that the Process to wellness or adjusting one's diet, for example, even if this adjustment is about changing emotional eating, for example, stopping those habits of going to the fr- to the refrigerator at night, this process doesn't start with planning what you're going to eat and when. This particular process would start with first understanding yourself, understanding your patterns, your triggers, why are you why do you have this habit in the first place and doing the mental psychological and emotional work first and so then at, once at you point do you have this conversation with people then because i guess that's the portion that i'm trying to understand like at what portion during the process do you talk to someone and you say okay you have made reference that you have a problem with emotional eating uh you do this normally at x time when do you have this conversation because let's just be realistic as we are talking that most people have quit whatever their new year's resolution is within the first 19 days. 
when people say I'm going to go on a diet, I'm gung-ho about doing this. I have bought this food that I've never heard the name of before on the planet, and I think that this is what I'm going to eat. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to drink this juju juice, and it's going to be fantastic and all this other kind of fun stuff. But how do you have this conversation of going, okay, reality versus what you're expecting? This is actually a conversation that I personally have with my clients immediately as we meet, as I get to know them. Because so like, day, so like day one, so the moment you're getting like that introductory call with them, is this something that you talk about? Because yeah, that, and, has to be like, yeah. that has to throw people off like right away of, oh my, what have I gotten myself into? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's important to approach wellness as a whole package. I'm not going to be just talking about diet and exercise like it's the most important thing. No, the most important thing is your mind and what it takes for you to create that change for yourself. Because once you understand yourself, then you will understand how to create this change. But if you just start with the action, instead of preparing yourself emotionally and uh, psychologically and getting yourself into the right place, that's when we get those um, overachievers who go to Whole Foods and stock their fridge with kale and uh, lemons and apple cider vinegar. And then three days later, they have to go to another store to get real food that they're actually going to eat. Kale, lemons, cucumbers, you know, all that kind of fun stuff that people want to have a nice little mixture of. I mean, I will tell you, I, I was not aware that kale kills the flavor of almost, or not kale, um, but cinnamon kills the flavor of kale. Um, people have told me that. And I, I've experimented with it. And it was just like, wow, that's um quite terrible in regards to changing some of that. So as you have that, that initial conversation with people and you tell them about all this, is it a turnoff? Is it one of these things where they're, do they tell you anything like they're not sure if they want to move forward? And I know that a lot of people are going to sit back here for a moment and go, you guys are talking about diets and all this. But if you take a bigger picture and a look at this, it really ties into wellness. It ties into health. It ties into how, you know, some of the safety protocols that we can talk about from time to time. And I'll use the word protocols just for an intentional joke between you and I here. Um, but just for the sake of actually doing some things that are different that could help you from a health portion. So that's why I bring some of this up. So does it throw some people off when you start telling? To be honest, from my experience, never. The reaction is usually the opposite. They are relieved because the task of changing somebody's a diet uh, as one of the first things to change is usually daunting to people. It is associated with a lot of effort, a lot of oh, restriction, a lot of I don't want to uh, just daunting is the best word to describe it. And when people learn that there is another way to start their wellness journey, they actually get excited about it. People get excited that they don't have to dive into the thing that they like the least, meaning changing their diets. That's usually one of the difficult, one of the most difficult things people get to make and actually start somewhere else. Start with, I guess, again, understanding themselves is the best way to describe it, but learning what triggers them how it happens, why it happens, and what realistic steps can be taken to address and reframe those triggers into something else. So how do you have that conversation with people in regards of that this is a lifestyle change then and not so so much a diet? Because when, let's just be realistic. When people reach out to someone as yourself, the the illusion, the thought process automatically is that you're going to tell them diet and go work out. 
Because, hey, that's wellness. I mean, let's just be realistic. That's what most people think, even though that's not really what the case is. But that's what most people think. And don't get me wrong, until we, you and I have had several conversations, that was my exact same process about the whole thing when it came to the nutrition side of life. It was like, well, is it really psychological? Or is it more just, um, I need to work out more and eat less garbage, you know, but chocolate cake's there. So that's a whole other story. So how do you have this? How do you have this conversation of, hey, it's a life-changing event? Uh, it's probably something that comes up again in the first five minutes of us getting to know each other, of me getting to know the client and vice versa. So the client is, you know, tells me their objective, what they're looking for with our sessions. And I present to them this whole picture that some people call holistic because it addresses wellness, not just from nutrition and fitness standpoint, but from all standpoints, from how um, self-perception, um, a lot of overweight uh, strategies have to do with limiting beliefs, how the person talks to, to themselves, how they see themselves in the mirror, how does them being overweight affects their self-image, their body image, their even their sens sensuality in many ways, because it's important. Oh, I think we're going to get into a whole other different subject if we open that Pandora's box, that's for sure. And believe me, I'll tell you, a couple of the episodes that we had about sensuality here have turned into, um, we'll say Pandora's box with um, some of the subject matters that we brought up. So I'm going to tread lightly on that subject. Don't mean to get your show in trouble, Dr. Allen. Well, so here's the thing. I appreciate you coming on and actually having the discussion. Now, here's my question to you. If people are interested in actually learning more about what you do and the services that you offer, how can they go about getting in contact with you and regards to actually, you know, just really getting involved in what you're doing? Sure. The best way to get to know what I'm doing is my website, alessamorgan.com. And that's where I talk about this philosophy of wellness that is not based on diet and exercise or just those concepts. And that's where people can get a very thorough information about how this works and uh, reach out me, reach out directly to me to request more information. So curiosity question, do you ever do any kind of public speaking or anything or, or anywhere they can actually go and find out any kind of information? Do you do anything where just general public or can they find that information out on your website as well? Yes, and thank you for bringing this up. I actually do public speaking and I have an engagement coming up on February the 19th. And the information about this presentation is going to be online tomorrow. The nope. Sorry, let me rephrase this, February 1st. Yeah, don't, don't throw people off by saying tomorrow. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? Well, anyways, I do appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you so much. I had a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Want more of the Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? 
I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.